It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to Quantum number 106, and it is the 75th anniversary of a very special and sad event. Uh, I wonder if you can remember what it is, because that is mainly what we're going to reflect on this week. Um, Quantum, for those of you who are new to this, is a podcast that reflects on major issues, cultural things, politics, and so on from a Christian perspective. And if you're not a Christian, you are very welcome to listen to this. Uh, It may not be what you think. And if you are a Christian, it also may not be what you think. But before we come on to our main theme and you think about what the 75th anniversary is we're speaking about, and let's see if you get it by the time. First of all, let's catch up with one or two things that have happened in the news. And first of all, the death of this man. The vast majority of conflicts in the world are about the same thing. They're about difference. Whether difference is your religion, or your nationality, or your race. And the answer is the same. One which we always use, that difference is an accident of birth. It's a very simple message to put across. But when you keep putting it across to a community, it eventually gets through. And that since difference is an accident of birth, one could have been born into the other community. There's not two people in the whole world who are the same. Differences of the essence of humanity. Therefore, difference is not something that one should fight about. It's something that we should respect. Now, John Hume is was a remarkable politician. He was seen as a modernising voice within Catholic nationalist politics in Northern Ireland. Um, he is most famous for the Good Friday Agreement, for which he won the Nobel Peace Prize, along with the unionist David Trimble. Um, He was remarkably always opposed to violence and narrow nationalism. He often quoted his father, you can't eat a flag. I have a lot of time for John Hume. Do you know that he donated his Nobel Prize money to the Salvation Army and I think a Catholic Sisters uh, group as well? We could do with peacemaking politicians like him, men of courage and principle as well. Honestly, uh, a sad loss to the world. And then let's just come to last week's podcast, which is the first one that we've done on a specific subject. And we looked at the Chinese Communist Party. And boy, did we get that one right in terms of I have so many news items from this. But let me just list some things just to help you stress how or help me stress and help you see how important this is. And also... uh, perhaps encourage you to go and listen to last week's. The Chinese Communist Party have suspended Hong Kong elections. The Chinese Communist Party have sent a 280-boat fishing fleet to to the Pacific. In Australia, the, the University of New South Wales had an academic... Elaine Pearson, who's who's the director of Australian Human Rights, who wrote an article supporting the Hong Kong students. The UNSW removed it from their website. Why? Because of pressure from 
the CCP, Chinese students and the money that's involved. Also in China, the situation with the Three Gorges Dam is continuing to cause great concern and the reports of cracks within it. And also in China, we mentioned about the church. Well, in China's Fujian province, apparently dozens of homes owned by Christians have been bulldozed and destroyed. Also connected with China, Huawei. Uh, this is also tied in with COVID-19. Huawei is among a wide range of private investors set to get a financial shot in the arm should the Oxford coronavirus vaccine succeed. And that is quite remarkable. One other item of news before we come on to our main theme, and that is this. That is the extraordinary explosion in Beirut, probably of ammonium nitrate in the port, stored there for many, many years. But when you see the initial explosion, you think, my goodness, what a big explosion. And then it's like a nuclear bomb. Indeed, people even thought there was a nuclear bomb. Well, there wasn't. Um, it does look like an accident, but at least 135 people dead, thousands injured, many, many hundreds of buildings destroyed, including I saw a video of one church. But that leads us neatly into this 75th anniversary and in case you haven't got it by now here's a song to help you That's orchestral maneuvers in the dark in all again. What's that got to do with our subject? Our subject is, of course, the 75th anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Now, in all again, uh, it's a song about the plane. The plane was called Enola Gay. Uh, I actually know somebody, a friend of mine, who married a girl called Enola and whose mother called her Enola because she just liked the name, although she had heard about it from the atomic bombing. I'm not sure I'd really want to be named after the plane that dropped the first atomic bomb and the only time that atomic bombs have been used in warfare. Now, what happened? The United States detonated two nuclear weapons over both Hiroshima and Nagasaki, first on August the 6th and the second on August the 9th in 1945. The United Kingdom had agreed to this. Uh, that was something that was required by the Quebec Agreement. The two bombings killed between 129,000 and 226,000. There's some uh, doubt about the exact numbers involved, most of whom were civilians. As I said already, this is the only time that nuclear weapons were used in armed conflict. Since then, nuclear weapons have been developed, which are up to a thousand times larger than that which was dropped on Hiroshima. I guess there, all of us would instinctively react against that. The pictures from Hiroshima are horrendous. 
the thought of nuclear war is horrendous. Could there possibly have been any case for it? I used to belong to CND, the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament. I thought the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki was totally immoral and could never be justified. But I was challenged on that a number of years ago, and I've struggled to answer this challenge. And here's the challenge, and I would very much like uh, you to think about this and to come back to me uh, with some solution to this. So the situation is that the Americans, and it would be the Americans because the British and the European countries were utterly exhausted in war, the Russians were not at war with Japan. In fact, they didn't declare war until after the bombs were dropped. So the Americans had already lost tens of thousands of troops. If they had a full-scale invasion of the Japanese mainland, because the Japanese people regarded their emperor as divine, because they were prepared to give up their lives, it is reckoned that between 200 and 400,000 American soldiers would have been killed, never mind the number of Japanese civilians and soldiers who would have been killed, probably into the millions. Some have estimated that it would have been up to 20 million people killed. So quarter of a million people killed or 20 million people killed? There's another factor in here as well. It is doubtful whether the Americans could have got as far as Tokyo and taken over the whole country without it being partitioned in the same way as Germany was. The Russians would have entered, they would have entered the Northern, Ireland, Northern Islands, and it's possible that Japan could have been partitioned in the same way as Germany was. So it's not quite as simple as we would like to think. But it still astounds me that human beings have the ingenuity and the ability and the intelligence and the knowledge to split the atom. But it's what we do with our knowledge. Science is neutral, but what we do with science is not neutral. We can use the power that's generated to create electricity or we can use it to kill people. It's not just the impact of the bomb, but the impact, the immediate impact, but it's the continuing impact, the Cold War, the cultural impact and so on that we need to reflect on. Now, myself and Annabelle have been watching recently quite an amazing series on Amazon Prime, The Man in the High Castle. The theme music begins like this. A huge part of this series so far, and we're just coming to, towards the end of a series two, is um, the story. I don't want to do too many spoilers for you, if you if you are going to go and watch it. But the story is that the Germans and the Japanese have won the Second World War, and that the uh, Nazis have taken over 
roughly two-thirds of the United States. There's a part that's a neutral zone, and the Japanese have the Pacific states. And uh, it's, it's actually, I, I think, it's a brilliant drama, not just historically, but uh, not just what if, but also in the way that it looks at the characters. But a major part of, part of the drama is the fear of an atomic bomb. The Germans won the war because they had an atomic bomb, which they dropped on Washington. And the Japanese don't have it, and they're trying to get it before the Germans decide to invade and attack them. And as I said, it, it is a, a fascinating insight into human nature and also profoundly disturbing because you find yourself in a position where the characters are so well done that sometimes you feel a, a degree of sympathy for some of the Nazis. And then you have to remind yourself what the Nazis were responsible for. But I think that's true to character. I think it's true to reality. Do you know, the Nazis were people who some of of whom went home to their families, played Mozart on piano, and then went off to work the next day in Auschwitz. How can human beings have such evil and such beauty within them? And I think that also helps us as we think about the atomic bomb. I don't know if you've ever read the novel The Beach, or On the Beach, by Neville Shute. Um, it, was a, it was a profoundly influential novel because it envisaged, and this, this is going to have to be a spoiler alert if you haven't read it by now, it's decades and decades old, and the, the first film, I think, entitled On the Beach, came out in 1959. But it imagines a nuclear war. Um, in fact, uh, listen to this, because it sounds remarkably modern. The hotline established between myself and the Chinese president, Mr. Lee Wan, is in constant use. We are absolutely on top of this situation. Mr. President! Mr. President! Mr. President. Yeah, yeah, surely one of you has got to back down. Well, there's room enough for give and take on both sides. Thank you all now, very much. Can you give the world an... It imagines a nuclear war fought over Albania, Israel, Taiwan uh, in the 1960s. And basically, that nuclear war, the nuclear fallout, kills everyone except people in Australia, who, particularly in South Australia, who have been told that there would be, there's even a thing that there would be a, a winter which would cause somehow it all to be cleared up. And the only people in the world left alive would be people in, in Melbourne. Well, without, and again, I'm sorry this is a spoiler alert, but um, as the radiation approaches, each person deals with their inevitable death differently. It's funny as I think about that because Melbourne, of course, right now is facing what some people consider to be an apocalypse. Um, not quite at that level, but hundreds of people every day are now getting COVID-19, which in America and in India and in Brazil and in the UK and Italy and Spain may not be particularly uh, shocking to you. But to us here in Australia, it is because we haven't had that. And now we are, or at least the people in Melbourne are, and they're under severe lockdown. And there's about 10 people per day uh, dying again, as in the rest of the world, mostly elderly. But is this the end of the world as we know it? Six
o'clock, TV hour, don't get caught in four towers, slice and burn, return, listen to yourself churn, lock it in, uniform and foot burning, blood letting, every motive escalate, automotive incinerate, light a candle, light a motor, step down, step down, watch your heel crush, crush. That is, of course, R.E.M.'s song, this gloriously cheerful song, It's the End of the World as We Know It and I Feel Fine, which manages to encapsulate that apocalyptic thing, but also the absurd selfishness that we live in. But are we living in apocalyptic times? You know, I, I joke about coming to Australia that I've come to paradise and since I've been here a year, we've had drought, we've had fires, we've had floods, we've had virus and there's the threat of war with China. In case uh, people get concerned about this, we've got plagues of locusts in East Africa and in Pakistan. There is the threat of bubonic plague apparently back in China as well. I mean, it just... It just feels there's that apocalyptic feel, not least because our media fed us continually. Death, 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 death. Dave Rubin, in his Don't Burn This Book, which I've just read, says this. In a time when the standard of living has never been higher, we're acting like the world is coming to an end. Whether you're a baby boomer addicted to watching cable news, a millennial hooked on Twitter conflict, or a Zoomer who comes home from school fearing the end of the world because of climate change, I'm here to tell you, cool your jets. Psychologists have a word for this behaviour, catastrophizing. When we catastrophize, we engage in an irrational thought process that leads us to believe something is far worse than it actually is. Okay, let me try and deal with this from um, a more biblical perspective. I think it's right for us to have an awareness of impending doom. I think we could go nuclear. We could go viral. There could be many, many different things that could happen. If you're not a Christian, how do, how do, you, how do you deal with all this? But is the Christian way of dealing with it any different? Well, I think, yes, it is. I don't, I don't think it's to say, oh, everything's just going to be fine. Don't worry. And I don't think it's for us to hide ourselves away. I don't think it's for us to have that attitude. It's the end of the world, but that's okay. I feel fine. I'm okay in my wee corner. No, I think we do have a concern about the world. And let me read you what Paul says in Romans 8. And I've been working through this a lot because I'm going to be doing a series on Romans 8 uh, entitled The Hope of the World. And this as regards the creation, Romans 8, 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. 
You see, there are those who are Christians who have an apocalyptic view which sees the world is going to end soon and we're all going to be burned up. And whilst there is one verse in the Bible which indicates that, the greater theme of the Bible is more that the burning is going to be a renewal. There's going to be a renewal of the creation, just as there is a renewal of our bodies and a renewal of those who are believers. I don't believe in the apocalyptic views of religious people or the apocalyptic views of political environmentalists. And I don't believe in the depressing views of cynical atheists who say, well, it's all going to implode anyway. I do believe that the world will be renewed. I don't believe that we'll create paradise on earth through human effort. I don't believe that we can save the world. There is only one person who can and who does that, and that is Jesus Christ. But meanwhile, the creation groans, and part of that groaning is us as human beings causing damage and doing all these different things. And so we just simply pray, Lord, save us from ourselves. Do I think there'll be another nuclear war? I do not know. Who knows? Kim Jong-un? It's possible. He could fire off a nuclear bomb. Islamist terrorists could use a nuclear bomb. A crazy American president, a despotic Russian, the Chinese wanting to to, um, diffuse trouble at home. Yes, all of that is possible. We cannot say that there will not be nuclear war. But I believe still believe this, that everything is in the hands of God. There may be other catastrophes as well, just as we've had this COVID-19. Do you know what the COVID-19, I think, is teaching us more than anything else? It's to be humble. It's to, to say that we are not in control. I don't believe in a Marxist view of history that we are inevitably progressing towards a better world and a better humanity. I just don't believe that. But I do believe that the sands of time are ringing. I do believe that there is such a thing as perfect holy time. And that's where I'm going to leave you with this song, this uh, wonderful song from Krista Detour. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce her name. And it's a song called The Clock of the World. Somewhere bells are ringing Somewhere someone's marrying Or a casket someone's carrying A crowd somewhere is gathering Somewhere what is passing and sublime Like the clock of the world Keeping perfect holy time Ravenous and beautiful It's all beyond me, I admit I can buy it if I want it But I don't need so much of it and the price will need repaying Don't know how it will be met Bells will go on ringing Grace may find us yet I love that phrase, the clock of the world keeping perfect, holy time. The psalmist tells us that God knows, he knows, Psalm 139, He knows the day of our death before the day that we are born. All the days appointed for us. What he knows for us as individuals, he knows for the world. And I have an absolute assurance, which brings a great peace, that there is a perfect holy time. Yes, there's suffering. Yes, there's pain. Yes, there's sorrow. But there is someone above that. And that's why I encourage you, if you're a Christian, to be encouraged by that. 
and to care and love and be prepared to suffer. And I encourage you, if you are not a Christian, to look. You're going to be left with the despair of On the Beach by Neville Shute. You're going to be left with the horror of Hiroshima unless you know the beauty and the love and the perfection of Jesus Christ. All right, next week, uh, I'll not tell you what the theme is yet. I'm still working on it. But thank you for all the suggestions about themes. I've got so many. I think I can go for a year doing things like this. So just keep sending them in. Keep sending me any news as well, because we'll keep bringing uh, items of news as we go on. But I pray that God would be with you. You want to support Quantum, then please just go to the Podbean fundraiser and help us. Uh, And I hope that this anniversary this 75th anniversary will have caused you to reflect and caused you to place your hope in the one who really is the saviour of the world. See you next week. Somewhere bells are ringing Somewhere someone's marrying Or a casket someone's carrying A crowd somewhere is gathering Somewhere a bell is marking What is passing and like the clock of the world Keeping perfect all the time Somewhere goes Somewhere someone's married Or someone's carrying The crowd somewhere is gathering Somewhere a bell is marking What is passing and Like the clock of the world Keeping perfect holy time Like the clock of